Let me ask you a question. Did you tell yourself that 2023 was going to be the year that you got rid of the excess body fat? Are you tired of the man boobs? Are you, try are you tired of the extra jiggle, man? Are you tired of it? You know, not being able to take your shirt off because you may feel a certain way. Let me ask you a question, man. If you could change that or at least drop 10 pounds in 30 days, would you do it? Right now, I'm running a 30-day challenge, right? 30-day challenge, 10 pounds, all right? That is the goal, and that is very, very attainable. It is the start of your fitness journey in 2023 if you want to start it off right. The most important thing that a lot of people miss out on and why I, just, I see them just not being successful in the gym is because there's no sense of direction. That's what I'm offering here, right? So 30 days, 10 pounds, let's make it happen. Hey, man, and I mean, for all this PE indulgers, it may just add a half an inch to your dick if you get rid of all that excess body fat. So again, if you're ready to do this, if you're ready to actually make it happen in 2023, then click the link in the description, book a call with me, and let's make it happen. Let's get rid of that jiggle, and let's bring those muscles back, baby. Think about it. Bring that six-pack back, baby. You want that. I mean, you don't want that extra tire. You don't want that jiggle. So let's get in the best shape possible. up what is up i hope you guys are doing fantastic i hope you guys are having the best day of your lives i hope today is going to be one of those fantastic days and i hope today's podcast can make it just that much better on a more serious note guys we're going to learn about how to eat according to our blood type right and why this matters because I mean, lo and behold, I mean, this podcast really opened my mind to the fact that a lot of us are eating in a very, very wrong way. What does that mean? Is that, well, we're not eating according to our body's blood type, right? And, and why that matters, along with the other things that come along with that and why there's so much disease. I mean, for, for a lot of us, we're eating in exactly the wrong way, <laughs> which is awful because this just is a precursor to all the diseases and all the madness that we're seeing, right? And today's guest is none other than Dr. Michael Biamonte, who basically enlightened me on how this plays a major role, right? More on Dr. Michael Biamonte. He is the founder of the Biamonte Center for Clinical Nutrition. He's also the co-creator of BioCybernetics, which is an unprecedented computer software program that is able to study blood work, mineral tests, and many other lab tests to determine exactly where your body is imbalanced initially designed for aerospace purposes however as a practitioner for over 30 years he is dedicated to improving the lives of his patients and helping them get back to living he holds a doctorate in nutropathy and an, is a new york state certified clinical nutritionist he's a professional member of the international and american association of clinical nutritionists the american college of nutrition and is a member of the scientific advisory board for the clinical nutrition certification board he is listed in the directory of distinguished americans for his research in nutrition and physiology so to put it <laughs> in a broader sense the man knows what he's talking about in regards to nutrition we also talk about how big pharma and all these other well, corporations decide to look away at certain things that are, well, maybe not so good for for health, right? From a health perspective, a lot of the things that these larger corporations preach about 
is not the best for us. But he talks about how we can combat that and how supplements are necessary in certain cases and why our food is so, well, deficient from a new, from a nutritious standpoint, right? As we all know, I mean, the food that we're eating isn't the high quality that it was a couple years ago. But he breaks down exactly what we can do and how you can use the technology that he's designed, right, to, to get more out of the food that you're eating and to stay healthy, right? Which ultimately, I mean, that's kind of like the, the reason why I created this podcast more than anything is that I want to see dudes be healthy. I don't want to see guys with man boobs running around with titties. You know, like I, I, I want to see as many dudes be as healthy as they possibly can right like there's just too much of it going around and i see a lot of people that are getting sick getting heart attacks getting strokes and it, i think if if we can shed some light on what we can do to be healthy i mean lord knows i listen to these podcasts too guys <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i get high on my own supply i listen to these probably two three times before i put them out and the whole purpose behind these podcasts is to just shed some light on what we can do as guys to obviously get the most out of this life that we have, improve the quality of life that we have. But that being said, you know, girls can listen to it too. You know, it's just, it's more geared for us dudes. Cause hey, I'm in the same boat as you guys and I wanna learn as much as I possibly can to improve the quality of my life and in doing so hopefully improve the quality of yours, right? And Dr. Michael Biamonte, he, he really sheds a lot of good light, you know, on things that we may be neglecting and I just thought that, you know, it's it's an extremely it's an extremely enlightening podcast on how we can approach our nutrition a little bit differently and with a little bit more detail, right? I mean, the nuances that this guy pulls out, man, I'm just like, wow, like Dr. Biomonte, you are legit, bro. So without any further ado, enough of my yapping, let's jump into today's episode. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Mask and Health Solutions podcast, where I am joined by Dr. Michael Biamonte. Dr. Mike, how are you today, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. That's awesome to hear, man. But first and foremost, the one thing that we're going to talk about and really focus on is the nutritional aspect of life and for us men. But tell us more on your background and how you kind of got started down uh, the road to figure out Candida and all these other good things, man. Well, I was... um. I was in naturopathic school studying how to interpret tests in a different manner. Like I can look at a blood test and I can see things that are nutritionally oriented where a medical doctor would never see that. Mm -hmm. So I was working along that line and I got interested in developing a computer model that could do this where you would input into the computer, the person's blood test results and the computer would just go through a bunch of algorithms and, figure the whole thing out within a few seconds rather than taking me hours to do it. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of school, when I got out of school, a woman in a health food store that I met told me that there was a doctor out on Long Island who was already doing this and he had a whole computer already put together. So I went and visited him and he turned out to be Dr. Robert Santoro, who was the man that developed the life support systems on the lunar module. Wow. He was developing this computer to use with the astronauts when they were in deep space missions in order to keep their nitrogen levels and their their calcium levels normal. So I worked with them for a few years, and that's what got me interested in the um, in the aspect of school, because everything we did was based on really supplements, because you would, you would put in a computer algorithm, and it would tell you what supplements the person needed to correct that thing that was wrong in their blood chemistry. Interesting. 
you um man that's super interesting but first and foremost the one thing i do want to talk about as far as you looking at their blood profile and all that what were the commonalities that you find not just in astronauts but amongst just kind of like the the men's population in general what do you tend to usually just find more more often than not it's very common that the some of the the bigger more common deficiencies that you find are magnesium zinc and B complex. Those are very common. You pretty much guess that any person you speak to is going to um, have an have an outpoint in those areas. Super interesting. And the thing is, uh, when it comes to magnesium, I've read into it. I'm not an expert like yourself, but can you tell us a little bit more about what magnesium does in the body and why it's so important that we have it? Well, the magnesium is, is considered one of the big four. The macro, we call them macro minerals, which are calcium, magnesium, sodium, and potassium, because those are the four major minerals that you have in your body. And magnesium balances with calcium. They, they're synergistic, but at the same time, they're antagonistic to each other. And the one of the base, most basic functions of magnesium is in muscle relaxation. When you send signals to your hand, for instance, to contract what you've just done is you've sent signals to your to the muscles in the hand to allow calcium ions to go into the muscle and it's the calcium that causes the contraction then when you release it it's exchanging now with magnesium calcium goes out magnesium comes in interesting there's a, a, another version of this that's called the sodium pump which everybody learns in biology sodium goes in potassium goes out or potassium goes in Sodium goes out. It's the same thing. There is a, there is a calcium magnesium pump at the same time. And that's responsible not only for simple things like when you contract your muscles, but your heartbeat. Yeah. Cardiac patients are, are famous for having low magnesium. The famous runner, Jim Fix, who in the um, 70s and 80s was behind the big running boom. When this guy died of a heart attack, um, they found that he died from low magnesium levels. That's what caused his heart attack. His magnesium was too low. You would never, you would never think of, he was like, um, you know, a, a later day Jack Mullane or, you know, one of these health icons. Yeah. But this is what happened. His magnesium went too low and he had a heart attack. The same thing happened to the famous nutritionist Colton Fredericks, also very popular in the 60s and 70s. Colton Fredericks is the original WOR radio guy who had the first health show ever, I think, on vitamins and nut nutrition. He had his degree in public health. Interesting. Not, not clinical nutrition like I do, but still he was able to look out into the public and uh, assess all these deficiencies that people have. And he didn't, he had low, he had a very high protein diet. That was his whole, like his big gig was protein mm -hmm. and protein. When you eat a high protein diet causes a loss of magnesium. When he had, um, he would occasionally do hair tests, hair, hair analysis. And he told me once when I met him on a radio show, he told me he couldn't believe in hair analysis because his magnesium was always low. And yet he took magnesium supplements. He ate a high magnesium diet, but I explained to him, but your protein is very high and you're causing urinary loss of magnesium through your, your pee when you go. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's very interesting. No, it's, I mean, to me, well, I've always known about the potassium just because from the bodybuilder side of things, you know, you see bodybuilders cramping up and then just, oh, you got to supplement with potassium. And it's kind of like, oh, you're dehydrated. You got to make sure you get more sodium in you. So it's kind of like we know the very basic bro science. <laughs> 
you know, the the stuff that the guys in the gym just kind of tell you, but the breakdown from it really makes a lot more sense. But now that you were on the topic about the high protein diet, my question is now that, you know, I'm seeing the whole carnivore diet really, uh, a lot of people are trying to, you know, just go with that. And they say, this is the way and this is the best, you know, diet that possibly exists. What's your take on that, you know, purely carnivore diet? The, the, the unfortunately, I'm very biased because the, one of the doctors I studied with in college was Dr. Diadamo Sr., who was the man who did all the research on the blood type diet. His son, Peter Diadamo, was the one who's written the books and made it popular, but he's the one who did all the original research. So my orientation is more towards what your blood type is for a correct diet, because that's based on your genetics. You know, a lot of people will say, well, I tried it. It didn't work or all kinds of things. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's 100% perfect, but it gives you a, a good scientific basis because it's based on your genes. When, they, when he put together the blood type diet, he did it based on the, the blood type and where that blood type comes from in the world and what those people ate for thousands yeah, and thousands of years. So you're, whether, whether you want to say that it was based on the genetic expression that occurred in those people mm -hmm. or genetic adaption that occurred, it can be genetic expression that the type O tends to be the paleo guy, right? Yeah. Or you, or you could say that his, his genes adapted to that because he, his ancestry did it for so long. Either way, it's based on it's based on heredity, and heredity is based on genetics. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because now I feel like the way I kind of see it in the health and nutrition kind of crowd, it seems like everybody's just trying to debate which is the best for everybody, but nobody's looking at the individual. So what I like about the whole approach that you have is that it's specific and it's tailor-made for the person that you are basically dealing with at that time. Am I correct with that or... Yeah, how we develop a health program for somebody. That's, this is like, let's say after we handle their candida and other issues like that, we develop their personalized health program by looking at their blood type and then by looking at idiosyncrasies they have that continue to reoccur in their blood work or in their whatever testing it is based on their genetics. Because mm -hmm. as, as I said, the blood type is not perfect, but it gives you a very good road to go down because it's based on the person's genetics. Then let's say, the person's going to have environmental stresses of some kind. Yeah. So you can, you can pick those things up in their tests. You can, you can pick up whatever the idiosyncrasy they particularly have, and you can just modify that to make the thing personalized for them. But you start out with the blood type as your foundation. It's super interesting. So what are some of the differences, differences that you see? So like, a, you know, an O versus uh, type B or type A, like what, what are the major differences in blood type that kind of lead you to like, okay, you know, this is the proper protocol for you? It's, it's kind of simple. The, the O is the, is, um, the, the hunter-gatherer he's been called. Gotcha. It's, pale, it's paleo, basically. But the O is also the carnivore. The O is, out of all the blood types, going to be the one who needs the most animal protein. Interesting. And if you go back and you study O's and you study the whole concept of the hunter-gatherer, these guys would go out um, four or five at a time hunting an animal for a couple of days. Yeah. You know, they would have they would have dried dried meat that they would eat on the way. They would live off the nuts and berries while they were going, and then they they get the animal that they bring it back to their camp and they feast on the animal for a week. And then they go back out hunting, you know, for another animal. So they ate a high, their animal uh, protein diet was very high. They didn't farm. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so the fact that they didn't farm means they didn't have baked goods. They didn't have grains. So all that is gone. That's all off the table. They didn't have rice. Maybe they, if in North America, they would have had corn. Mm-hmm. That would have been it. Interesting. But that's that's that diet. Now, if you look at type A's, type A's come mostly from Asia. And in Asia, they farm. There's they're big farmers there. A lot of you know rice, obviously, rice. Mm-hmm. and other and, and and grains. So those this is the staple of their diet. Interesting. Then if you look at the type B, now type B's from the Mediterranean. So the type B's would include the Greek, the Turks, Italians. Italian. That's that whole Mediterranean area. So there's a lot of fish, obviously, that they eat there. If anyone's ever been there. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of fish. They a lot of good high quality oils. There's a, there was more legumes, probably beans and peas and things like that, and lentils. Interesting. And, and then you have the type the type um the double A, who is the most recent blood type. And they tend to eat a little bit of everything, which is interesting. They do well on a little bit of everything. But that they're a very modern blood type, the AA. Interesting. Yep. One of the biggest things that I mean that comes to mind for myself, it's kind of I've always had this philosophy. I remember reading an old book by Weston A. Price way back in the day, and he talked about how, you know, when people ate, you know, in a way that was like let's say it was food that was readily available in whichever territorial land that he was, he found that these people were all healthy, but when they were introduced to sugars and things that were foreign, a lot of people were getting sick. Do you think that's one of the major reasons that we're getting sick so much these days is that people are eating the wrong foods over and over again? That's one of them. There's two, two aspects to that. One is that people are eating the wrong foods and two, they're eating poisoned foods. Okay. But, but from what the Western price viewpoint, he went out to, to try to find uh, coincidences between dental caries and yeah. people who had who had no dental caries, and he was first looking at it from the viewpoint of teeth. It was very obvious to him that people who were eating modern processed food had more dental problems than people who didn't. But then he became shocked and fascinated at the fact that th- the same thing was true of chronic degenerative disease. Those yeah. people who who didn't eat the, the new fangled food. They didn't have diabetes. They didn't have arthritis. They didn't have all this heart disease. But the people who were eating all these new packaged foods with a lot of sugar, they had all those illnesses. Yeah. So it was a slam dunk. Like in his, his book, it's really a slam dunk. He just lays it out with the, with the statistics. And it's very apparent that what he found was very true. But nowadays, you have something that expands out on a little bit more. You have GMO. You have genetically modified foods, which they really didn't have. Monsanto wasn't uh, <laughs> up and running really back then in yeah. the days of Western Price. So now you have a whole other deal. And what's fascinating about that is in or Europe, most countries in Europe have banned GMO foods. I heard about that, yeah. It's banned. As a matter of fact, in Europe, if you go to one of Monsanto's uh, factories, they don't have GMO foods in the in the cafeterias. But yet they've got they're selling it to us here in America. Yeah. Well, so you end up a... you end up with a whole loop. You sell the people GMO foods, which genetically their bodies can't tolerate. And where there's tons of evidence that GM, GMO foods can lead to cancer and all these things. Yeah. So you feed, feed them the GMO foods and then you loop around. Well, now they have now they're sick. So now you have to usher them into the pharmaceutical industries oh, yeah. to get drugs. Yeah. So what else can I say? 
That's no. obvious. Yeah, it's a, it's dude. A big, follow the money. A hundred percent. You see, and you see what happens. Well, I think Monsanto's in bed with all these high, you know, companies. It's kind of like it's messed up too, because for myself, like I've always looked at it from the testosterone kind of side of things, and you know, I want to make sure that I have a healthy profile. Like I'm 34, I don't want to get sick. But the more I looked into glyphosate, Roundup. All these other astrazine, I think, is another one where I'm, I can't believe we're eating that, <laughs> along with the microplastics and all this other shit that's in our food. It's incredible. And they allow it. And what, what unfortunately really angers me is that politicians allow it. Well, how much do you think they're getting lobbied, though? I mean, they, there's got to be some hardcore lobbying going on there, because the fact that it's not available in Europe yet in North America, it's it's all on the shelves. Like, I don't buy my kids Kellogg's. I don't I don't go near any of that shit just because I know how bad it is. This is Barack Obama was supposed to outlaw GMO foods. This is something he was saying during his campaign. Originally, he was going to outlaw GMO foods. And when he got into office, he ended up signing the Monsanto Protection Act. Wow. Which limits which limits your liability. If you decide you want to sue Monsanto, you're limited in how much you can sue them for. But if you go if anyone wants to read this, go online and just do a, um, a search for Monsanto Protection Act that Obama signed. And it goes through all the just lets Monsanto off the hook for everything. So you got to assume that um, someone was um, getting something there. Oh, yeah. I mean, these guys, I think the only way to be a successful politician, (laughs) you got to be a crook at the top, man. I honestly don't think there's a lot of good guys left in D.C. or here in Canada and Ottawa. (laughs) I've heard stories. Yeah, I've heard stories. Well, it kind of goes back. I mean, think of tobacco, right? That was another big one where it wasn't until somebody came. They're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to blow the whistle on this one because people are dying left, right, and center. And we keep telling people that, oh, no, you're not going to get cancer. You'll be all right. I'm like, I highly doubt that. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, but that's the new thing that people didn't have to deal with many years ago. They didn't have to deal with GMO foods. Yeah. So that makes things even more complicated. So if you try, you do your best. You try to eat organic and non-GMO. Yeah, no. That's what you can do. 100%. I mean, I really try that for my family and I, yet some things are almost inescapable, I find, in our modern society. But another question I had for you, um, we're starting to see a lot of people push veganism as well as like, oh, man, this is the other one. I find that we have the extremes like polar opposites. On the one side, you got the carnivores. On the other side, you got veganism. What's your take on veganism, the processed food, and just overall, do you think it's good for most people? Does it fall in for a blood type, or is it something that you know we should probably just disregard and not touch? I was a vegan for five years. Originally, I felt really good because it was detoxifying my system, being mm-hmm. a vegan. And after about two to three years, I noticed I was getting a little bit tired. I was becoming a little bit more apathetic. Yeah. And then somewhere around four years, I started developing muscle tremors and twitches. And I asked, I asked my teacher, by then I was in college for nutrition, and I asked my teacher, who happened to be Dr. Diadamo, about this. And he said, what's your blood type? And I said, well, I don't know. But I said, I kind of assume it's an O. And he said, you know, he asked me where I was, where my parents were from in Italy and all this. He says, you're probably, you know, he says, I want you to go home for the next week and I want you to eat liver. Hmm. Interesting. So now here he's, he's telling <laughs> a vegan to eat liver. Well, I figured to myself, I've got nothing to lose. I already have these physical manifestations. I might as well go home and eat the liver and see what happens. Yeah. Well, I, this liver went in my mouth and I felt like a vacuum cleaner. 
I was just sucking it up. And then within about two days, all the symptoms were gone. And I felt a hundred times better. Now, does that mean someone should go home and eat liver every day? No, but it tells you that if a type O tries to be a, a vegetarian or a vegan, they can only do it for a certain period of time before they were going to start to break down. Interesting. And they're going to have to resort to something like liver, which is like from a carnivore standpoint, that's pretty heavy. But <laughs> those but those nucleoproteins that are in the liver are what a typo needs to get his own amino acid pool back up to normal so that he doesn't feel like everything is crashing on him. Interesting. It seems like the micronutrient profile from the liver would probably just help to boost you right back up. Exactly. So now that that's being so that's again looking at it from a blood type viewpoint. If you're a vegan, you you need to be a type blood type A number one. If you're if you're not a blood type A, you better hope there's there's some kind of a hybrid or you're some kind of a hybrid where you can do with that diet because vegetarian diets and vegan diets are going to tend to make people higher in copper. Interesting. The copper zinc ratios are going to go off. It's because vegetable vegetable foods tend to be higher in copper than in the zinc. Zinc foods are more from the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beef is very high in zinc as opposed to copper. So if you start looking at the mineral ratios in foods, animal protein is going to have a higher um, zinc to copper ratio. There's more zinc than copper in animal uh, protein. It's the reverse in the vegetarian kingdom. Plus, unfortunately, if you're when you're dealing with vegans and vegetarians, there has been traditionally a very high reliance on soy. Yeah. And soy is bad news. Now, there are certain good things about soy where because soy has plant-based estrogens, which can help women at certain times. But the fact is that so much soy is GMO on this planet right now. So much of the soy is genetically modified. It's hard to find soy that's not genetically modified. And there's an idiosyncrasy about soy. Soy contains a substance that's called a thiocyanate. And thiocyanate chemicals are suppressive to your thyroid function. They suppress your thyroid gland. And soy is also very high in copper to zinc. So somebody who's a vegetarian who's doing a heavy soy thing, and I I was guilty of this when I was a vegan, you start to develop zinc deficiency, your thyroid starts to become suppressed, and you start getting copper toxic. And copper is estrogenic. So as as a mineral, copper is involved with the synthesis and the release and the maintenance of estrogen. Copper is one of the main things in your estrogen receptor sites that allows you the estrogen to work in your body. So if you become copper dominated, that's the same thing as saying you're estrogen dominated. Wow. So it's one of those things that we should avoid for most guys, I think. Yeah. I mean, for some, you know, it's as crazy as it sounds. Um, I have, I'm of the viewpoint now that if someone wants to do a vegan vegetarian diet, that's high in soy, I say that you need to be tested first to find out if that's okay with your body. If your mm-hmm. body's leaning that way. If, if someone is leaning towards um, a low copper level and, and hyperthyroid function, I would say that's a perfect diet for them to do. Yeah. But the average person doesn't know that. The average person is going to go on the diet because it sounds good from a book he read. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do it. And then initially he might feel better because his body isn't having to deal with a lot of heavy proteins. And the other thing that people just do intuitively, when a person goes on a diet like that, they normally just go on a general health kick. So all of a sudden they stop soda. They stop Mm -hmm. all these other things. And they're going to likely attribute, though, them feeling better to this main focus that they have on this diet. 
They're not really going to look at the fact that they don't eat candy bars anymore. You know, maybe they stop smoking pot as a result of this, too. Maybe they're not they're not doing this. They're not doing that. So they might attribute more to the diet than really is. But but initially, when they stop all these bad things, they do the the healthy diet. They're going to detox to some degree. They're going to feel better because they're not straining their body with as many healthy. uh, Well, let's say heavy foods that they were having problem processing. They'll feel better, but how many years are they going to go if it's going against their blood type before they end up like me and start having strange symptoms? Yeah, I mean, the one thing, and that's key, because I'll talk to a lot of people and I'll have clients who will tell me like, hey, you know, I'm really looking to try out this diet. And I'll be like, well, why do you want to try out this diet? And they'll just be like, well, you know, I read about it or I saw it, blah, blah, blah. And to your point, a lot of people will feel really good and they'll, they'll cut out all the candy, they'll cut out the processed food, they cut out everything. And then after, you know, an extended period of time, all of a sudden they start feeling weaker. They're just like, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. You know, maybe I'm going to reintroduce meat, you know, because I had a vegan who did that as well. And a lot of the times it just sounds like, you know, people get really extreme and all of a sudden they take out everything that's bad and they attribute it to the diets, as you say. And they say that it's like, oh, this is going to this is magical. But I'm like, is it really? That makes sense. If you got all those bad things out of your diet, you'd feel better whether you're still eating meat or not. But 100%. I think eating, eating meat is a good is another good topic of tremendous confusion, because for years we've we've had it pumped and pul- we've been pulverized with meat is bad, red meat is bad, red mm-hmm. meat is bad, right? So what I'm going to propose to you is that there are two different types of red meat. There is grass fed organic meat, and there is the meat you buy in the supermarket that comes from your CAFOs, mm-hmm. the confined animal animal feeding facilities. They're two different things. When you observe the breakdown of grass-fed meat compared to the, the typical corn-fed beef that's developed in a CAFO, the just one thing, just one thing you could look at alone is the balance of fatty acids in the meat. But, but I'm going to tell you right now, they are two different things. So when some, someone starts telling me that red meat is bad and there are all these studies that show red meat is bad, I'm going to ask him, are you talking about CAFO red meat or are you talking about free range, you know, grass fed meat? Because they're two different foods. Yeah. Grass fed beef has a, a, a fat content that's much more similar to salmon. Most people don't know that. Interesting. No, I didn't know that either. No, there are there are, there are two fatty acids in the body that kind of differentiate this. There's arachidonic acid and linolenic acid. These are the two major fatty acids. Grass-fed beef is very high in linolenic acid, which is the, the type of fatty acids that are more associated with the omegas. Omega-3, 6, 4, 5, 7, all those omegas are associated with grass-fed, where are the typical corn-fed meat that you buy in the in the supermarket is associated with arachidonic acid, which is a highly inflammatory fatty acid. Arachidonic acid causes inflammation. So if someone's going to eat store-bought, supermarket-bought beef, they're eating something which not only has hormones in it and antibiotics probably, but just the nature of the meat and how it was fed, it's highly inflammatory. That's interesting now because I've never – I mean – we always go grass-fed here in my house. We always go organic. Right. However, I didn't know the, the nuances as to why I should go organic. All I know is that as far as like what they're feeding fish, salmon, 
I mean, farm fish too. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I looked into that and they were feeding them soy pellets, right? So I'm like, I don't want to get soy. I don't want to get corn in the food that I eat. I'm trying to avoid high fructose corn syrup and anything related to corn just because it's so processed. And mm-hmm. it's got that good old glyphosate and all that other trash all over it, right? Right. So, I mean, to your point, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, thank you for shedding light on that. Yeah, you can't look at... If you look at studies that are done where people are eating red meat, you then have to break the study down and say, well, how many of them were eating CAFO meat? How many of them were eating grass fed? And then the same the same thing becomes true with cholesterol, the subject of cholesterol and and butter in general. Grass fed butter is a is a highly very is a very healthy fat. But butter that comes from the supermarket, particularly if it says um, salted butter, is rancid. The reason they salt it is because it's rancid in the first place. I know. That's why that. they, that's why salted butter exists. Salted butter is the rancid butter that they don't know what to do with and they don't want to throw it away. So they salt it to cover up the rancidity and then they sell it as salted butter like they're doing you a favor. Wow. I thought they flavored it afterwards because it's kind of like, ah, you know, we got the good stuff here unsalted or salted. It's your choice. No, not, not true. Dear Lord. And, yeah, that's true. And then the whole story, if we want to back, take another step back and we talk about cholesterol, one of the most misunderstood substances in the world. You say cholesterol to somebody in a conversation and they jump back, you know, like you're the devil. Yeah. Well, co- cholesterol has many functions in the body. If you don't have cholesterol, you can't make hormones. Cholesterol is the raw material out of all your hormones. Cholesterol is what transports your vitamins. Everyone wants to take vitamin D. If you don't have enough cholesterol in your body, you can't transport that vitamin D in your system. Cholesterol helps your body detoxify. If you're a toxic person, you can't detoxify if your cholesterol is too low. There's nothing more aggravating to me when I hear stories about these wacko doctors that want to put everybody on statin drugs until their cholesterol drops below 100 which is absolutely insane. You know, the lower your cholesterol goes, if your cholesterol goes below 140, the lower it goes below 140, the more, the more, the higher the possibility of you having a stroke. God, man. And the thing is too, with a lot of those drugs, it's like, it seems like they'll give you one drug and now they got to give you four other ones to combat the first one. Always because cholesterol statin drugs deplete your body of coenzyme Q10. Now, why would you want to deplete if you're doing something for your heart? Coenzyme Q10 is one of the major vitamins that helps your heart muscle and all your other muscles. Why would you want to deplete your, your muscles, especially your heart of coenzyme Q10? It's insane. But it all comes from the Framingham study. You see, Framingham, Connecticut, back in the 60s, they did a study where they took the whole town and they gave the whole town or some of the people in this town, the controlled group, they gave them this powder every day to take. The powder was supposed to simulate cholesterol, like 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 a, a an egg an egg, and they had this cholesterol in there, and then they followed that group versus the ones who didn't take the powder that had the cholesterol in there over the period of years and like fifteen years I think it was, and they looked at their health, and sure enough the ones that had the cholesterol powder had a lot of problems, but they didn't find this out until ten years ago that the was toxic for a lot of other reasons and the cholesterol that was in the powder you could not break down nobody could break it down what yes you couldn't your body could not emulsify it that powder so this thing was doomed that they might as well given those people arsenic in the powder 
It's the entire Framingham study and all the conclusions drawn from the Framingham study are all false based on the fact they gave these people a powdered cholesterol that an elephant couldn't break down. And yet they're using the study as a reference point? Still, still to this day, they are. And when did this study come out? Well, this was back in the probably in the late 60s, early 70s. But the, they, Framing, the Framingham study is still the most quoted study when it comes to cholesterol, even though people know this. What I'm telling you now is not anything. You can go yeah. Google it and you, you, you see how the Framingham study was flawed. <laughs> but from a nutritional standpoint, so like what, why do you think that was done in the first place? Because it seemed like they wanted to push something. Like It seems like it was a study done and modified because they had ulterior motives. Well, I'm, I'm sure that somewhere along the line, they noticed that people with higher cholesterol were having more heart problems. They were developing atherosclerosis. Probably, um, I don't know this for a fact, but I would say if it was, if I was going back in those days and going through those steps, you, you could analyze a plaque, an atherosclerotic plaque, and you would find that the major component to the plaque was cholesterol, and that's what was blocking your arteries. Yeah. So then they'd want to find out what foods were high in cholesterol or find out, you know, they want to make sure about this. The problem was, is they, they were taking the viewpoint that the grave digger is the cause of death. Hmm. You see, because yeah. cholesterol, because cholesterol was part of the plaque, they assumed the problem was cholesterol. But then when more modern, sophisticated nutritionists came along in the 70s and 80s, and they actually analyzed the sequence that you develop a plaque, what they found was the first thing that happens to your arterial walls is you develop free radical damage. Yeah. The free radical damage and the free radicals could come from all different sources. It could be smoking, could be excessive alcohol. It could be different chemicals in your food, in your environment, whatever. But the bottom line is you get free radical damage to the arterial wall. Then the next thing that happens when the, when you get that is fibrogen forms. Now, fibrogen is that protein when you cut yourself and you start seeing that, that, that little sticky mesh start mm -hmm. appearing in the cut. Yeah. That's fibrogen. That's like a protein that's there to try to repair damage to the cells. So you get fibrogen now appearing on the arterial wall. As calcium and other minerals come by, they stick to the fibrogen. And then as cholesterol comes by, the cholesterol sticks to the minerals. Mm -hmm. That's how you develop a plaque. So to say that cholesterol is responsible for this is insane because it's not what was responsible for the plaque starting in the first place was free radical damage. But are they going to tell people stop smoking, stop drinking to excess, stop taking all oh, these drugs, wow. start doing, stop doing, are they going to say, go out and take antioxidants, go take selenium, take vitamin E, take all these antioxidants to prevent that plaque, that plaque, which is, which is essentially inflammation. You know, a, a free radical damage to something is the same thing as saying it's inflamed. Yeah, man, I, it blows my mind, but it doesn't, you know, <laughs> it, yes. it, it does, because it's kind of like, I didn't know the whole process of it or how it worked. I just know that they constantly contribute certain things that, hey, you know what, it's kind of unrelated, but this works in our favor. So let's just blame it all on cholesterol. So everybody's like, yo, you shouldn't eat eggs. You shouldn't eat red meat. You shouldn't eat salmon. I'm like, wait a minute. Why not? When you start questioning things like yourself, you go down this deep dive where you explain things perfectly and eloquently, and it makes perfect sense in how the body actually works 
and you just see that they demonize things without even knowing the science behind it it seems and yet they're, they're, the they're, they're scientists <laughs> well you you know what lecithin is i'm sure right You've yeah seen lecithin yeah, yeah in the supermarkets people have taken lecithin for years that's the first supplement that people came up with to take that helps you with, with cholesterol because lecithin is an emulsifier of fat do you know that the yolk of an egg the average healthy egg has two and a half times the amount of lecithin that's needed to emulsify the cholesterol and the fat that's in the egg yolk. What? Well, I, I mean, I eat my eggs every day, so thank you. Good for you. <laughs> Interesting. Demonize is a very good point. That's exactly, that's exactly. And of course, it's always going to be done for one reason. There's only one reason. Well, no, that's not true. There's, there's, there can be two. One is stupidity. But the other is going to be the money. You follow the money. Mm -hmm. So somewhere along the line, there was somebody waiting. They were going to demonize eggs, and somebody was waiting to come up with some egg substitute that yeah. they were going to sell you. Like margarine is one of the biggest jokes around. Margarine oh, yeah. is, is practical. Margarine is like one molecule or two away from being like this an atomic bomb. Margarine yeah. is really, really unhealthy. It causes a lot. It's high. It's the reason the reason that margarine exists is probably because somebody figured out it was going to be the substitute for butter that they were going to demonize. Yeah. I 100% agree with that cuz I remember being a kid in the 90s and my parents were all about, "Oh, we got to get our margarine. We got to we can't eat butter cuz butter's high in fat, you know, it's got all that cholesterol. We can't go near that stuff." Right. And as I grew up and I started reading more into that subject, I, I remember looking into butter and they they made butter specifically as an alternative or they made um, margarine, margarine specifically yep. as an alternative. And they knew they were going to cash out big because at that time, was it was the whole low-fat craze. If, uh, right. I guess you, you know all about that. Right? Yeah, just, that, was the, that was the heyday coming off the Framingham study that we were just talking oh about. My. Yeah. And I mean, that, that was probably the worst as far as nutrition goes because, I mean, we were all... I mean, I was blind to it. I was a kid, but my parents, I mean, we didn't have as much information as we have now where I can go and research and learn more about these things. There was no Google. So you just assumed that, hey, the authorities, they got my best interest in mind. <laughs> they even they even snuck it in in those days in TV shows. There was the show oh, yeah. all, all, all in the Family, Archie Bunker. <laughs> and they Archie Bunker was explaining to somebody why television was so good. And because if it wasn't for television, you you wouldn't know about margarine and cholesterol, and you'd be eating, clogging your arteries with all this butter rather than flushing them out with margarine. No, oh, he was man. explaining to somebody. But mar <laughs> margarine is a is a is unsaturated fat, which is loaded with chemicals of all kinds. It's it's not even um, natural in the first place, and it's got hundreds of different types of additives and whatnot to it. It's just like a chemical bomb. Yeah. So. No, it's one of those things where I just don't go near it. anything that I find that's processed, but processed to another level, you can just read the ingredient list. And my wife and I, we do that for our kids because we started looking into like aluminum. I'm like, why are there why is there aluminum in Aunt Jemima's pancakes? I don't even understand how that makes any sense. But we it's start going stabilizer. down the rabbit hole. Is, is that what? Yeah, it's a stabilizer. And I don't know, you know, because they for shelf life, you need to go back to the conservatives. Yeah. Before we had hydrogenated fats and all these things, you go back to the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. um, what did they have back then? They had they had nothing to stabilize things with. They they couldn't ship wheat, whole wheat on a on a railroad car a couple of hundred miles because the insects would eat it mm -hmm. because it had nutrition in it. They got the idea is if they removed the germ of the wheat 
that had the fatty acids and the protein, and they were just left with the white flour. The insects didn't even want that, so they could transport it hundreds of miles. What? So it's just kind of the same deal. You want to make sure that nobody touches the food, yet we're the one ingesting all that trash. <laughs> and it's all based. It's all based on now. I'm sure some smart guy could have come up with a way of of shipping this whole wheat. Yeah. If they really, if they really tried, but eventually you know here again we're following our theme we're following the money and that's how white flour that's how white flour becomes popular and becomes a major staple is because they were able to transport it where you couldn't do that with the whole wheat because the insects would eat it now i'm sitting here and i'm thinking to myself gee now the insects want to eat it but they don't want to eat the white flour so which one should i choose (laughs) i guess it's pretty obvious If the insects don't even want to eat it, why should I eat it? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory. It's like I saw there was a funny video of uh oh man, it was they gave Beyond Meat to a dog. And then they had a nice oh, steak God. over here, a grass-fed steak and the Beyond Meat steak, right? The dog took a whiff of the Beyond Meat and he's like, Ugh. and then he was repelled and he went to the the good grass-fed steak right. and he went and ate that. He didn't even go near it. Yeah, here we are forcing people are telling people that it's good for you and i don't think it is i'm like the amount of different compounds used in just creating that frankenstein burger i can't say i'm a fan of it <laughs> no and you'll you'll if you open up your ears and you look at listen a little bit on social media you'll notice that there is this push for non non-animal protein sources going on yeah there oh yeah there is there is a lot of people are making a lot of money push. yeah okay but you know something interesting um, plant sources of protein. I'm going to make a blanket statement. It's not 100% true, but plant sources of protein will lower your testosterone where animal sources will raise it. So if you want to gain control over people, if you want to have a, a civilization or a country of people who are docile mm-hmm. and who are, who are followers and who are basically sheep, feed them nothing but vegetables. Don't give them meat. Because meat's going to get their testosterone up and make them aggressive. Mm-hmm. And meat's going to make them want to look into what you're really doing rather than just sitting there like an apathetic person. Yeah, 100%. You know what I think it is, too? It's like certain agendas. Like, Well, I mean, just look into the food industry itself. And I kind of find that when they start pushing something in, in a certain direction, I start looking into it. and just like, well, why do you want me to do this? Why do you want me to take that? <laughs> you know, and and I find that this doesn't make any sense because if you just look at their track record, you start peeling back the layers and you don't even got to go that deep. You just start scratching the surface and you're like, wow, this completely contradicts what every health, uh, you know, proper health protocol kind of tells me I should be doing. And yet here we are going in the wrong direction again. Why is it that Michelle Obama had an organic garden at the White House and yet she was a lawyer for big food? And her husband signed the Monsanto Protection Act. So he's going to sign a law feeding me or feeding mm-hmm. me GMO foods, but he's got an organic garden. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> Not at all, but it seems oxymoronic. Yes, it is. You know, it, it seems oxymoronic, but at the same time, like I said before, when you start peeling back the layers of that onion, you start to see pretty clearly you know, there's more behind that. And and to your point about the docile society, I truly believe in that. Because I, I just, it doesn't make sense. Like I tried veganism for a week and I just felt tired. I felt sick. And I'm just like, why would I do this, right? 
And maybe I didn't have to detoxify. I didn't see any of the benefits, but I'm, I'm like, now they're pushing it. And, and I'm seeing a certain body type, especially amongst the guys that decide to go down this road mm. and the whole soy boy phenomenon. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> this, but they kind of look like underdeveloped guys. Soy boy. That's a, that's a, that's an enlightening term. Yes. <laughs> well, soy is soy as a, as a food is missing a couple of essential amino acids. We all know that the, the model of protein is the egg. Mm -hmm. The egg has all the correct amino acids, all in the correct balance. Soy primarily is missing methionine, methionine the whole sulfur group, methionine and cysteine, mm -hmm. which, which stops it from being a complete protein. Interesting. And that's kind of the thing where they tell them, hey, you shouldn't eat eggs. Eggs are bad. <laughs> I'd like to know where they where they get their information from. Well, that's kind of the thing that I find is when they push these agendas, there's always some they tell you you're being a bad human being by not taking part in their said social movements. Right. And this is a whole protect the animals, protect this that, and the other. Yet at the same time, you see companies like BlackRock, you know, they're taking yes. part in burning down the Amazon, the uh, vanguards yeah, involved true. in all these all these companies, exactly. too. Exactly. Right. And it's kind of like if you look at the stock market, you'll start to see like, wait a minute. OK, so I see fluctuations here, deviations there, agendas being pushed there. And you start to just kind of line them up and you're like, OK, th this doesn't make sense. But then it does. <laughs> it does when you're looking at those at those different um, individual groups that you're talking about. Yes, it does. And when it comes to supplements now, kind of changing topics a little bit. Do you think it's necessary for us to be supplementing as much as we are? Because I find that. You know, I even go to Safeway or any grocery store now, and it just seems like we have an overabundance of supplements, yet our food micronutrient profile is lower than ever. It's a, that's a, a many-faceted question. But the first thing I'll tell you is that the, the food that we eat in this country is so depleted that people have to take supplements because the food is depleted. There was a, there was a professor of, um, in Ohio, University of Ohio, who went out in the 30s his name was Albright. He went out in the 30s, collected a bunch of corn, brought it back to the lab. They analyzed the corn for trace minerals, iron, all these things, and they wrote down the numbers. 15 years later, he went back to the same field, pulled up the corn, went back into the lab, checked it out. All the numbers had dropped by 20%. Wow. Another guy did the same thing with tomatoes. These are famous nutrition school stories that you'll hear. They were in all the mm -hmm. textbooks about how the, the, the um, amount of vitamins and minerals has, have been depleted from our food. And it's primarily because of poor farming techniques because they don't turn the, the, they don't turn the soil over every few years and then yeah. grow something else that repletes the soil. So if you just want to keep growing the same thing every year and you deplete the soil, then you have these problems. And that's unfortunately what we've got to a large degree in this country, we have food that's becoming more and more nutritionally deficient and synthetic fertilizers that they use don't help either because that adds to it. Yeah. So you do, you do have to supplement. You have to supplement because you're never going to get all the nutrients you need from your food. It's just not possible. It's been tried and we've, we've, um, I've seen many reports, many tests on people and it's not possible. However, and this is the big underlined, however, if you supplement, you have to do it correctly. Otherwise, you can wreck yourself. You can make yourself worse. Yeah. And this is the unfortunate thing because what 
uh, what should be happening, and maybe this will be happening in 50 years, is when the person goes into their doctor's office for their annual physical, the doctor is going to run tests on you to find out what vitamins and minerals you need and whether or not it's changed since your last appointment. That's going to be the doctor of the future. Yeah. And now the reason why this is, is because nutrients all have a natural um, synergistic or antagonistic effect on each other. If you take too much vitamin B1, you'll drive your calcium levels down below, below your feet and you'll get brittle bones and your teeth will start to crack. If you take too much zinc, you'll develop a copper deficiency and you'll start having bacterial infections and fungal infections and bleeding gums and all the same symptoms as vitamin C deficiency. If you take too much vitamin C, you'll deplete your copper. Gotcha. And I can keep going on. Every nutrient has a set of antagonists and synergists. So if you take too much of any one nutrient without truly needing that, you're going to imbalance yourself. Now, if a person, I'll, actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was first practicing, I had a medical doctor come to me because the medical, this medical doctor had a prostate problem. And he had read in a journal, this is now this is probably back in 82, 83. He had read in this journal about how important zinc was for your prostate, which pretty much everyone knows that by now. Mm-hmm. So this he started taking 50 milligrams of zinc every day. That was the only supplement he took. Zinc. This is a typical allopathic thinking of a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. All right, zinc is gonna I'm gonna take the zinc. I'm not gonna look into any other nutrient, but just the zinc. He takes the zinc, his prostate problem goes away his prostate's fine for two or three years he's still taking the zinc 50 milligrams every day all of a sudden the zinc the prostate infection came back raging oh no he comes to me and he's telling me the story i said okay well i'm going to do a test on you to measure your minerals but as you're doing the test i want you to stop the zinc and i want you to start taking copper he calls me back in a week prostate infection's gone the copper worked so now he wants to only take copper for the next 10 years. <laughs> so I have to explain to him what, the, what he kept taking zinc every day. He, he drove his copper levels down to a deficient point. And when you have a copper deficiency, you're more susceptible to bacterial infections in whatever your weakest area is in your body, which was his prostate. Interesting. But that kind of goes back to your point about how you got to balance everything right from the get-go. So the only way a person does that is by going to a certified clinic who's a functional medical doctor or somebody who has the capacity of running the correct tests on you so that you know exactly what nutrients you need to take and don't. Like as an example, in my practice, we have two multivitamins we use. If you looked at them, you would say, how could this be a multivitamin? Both of them are missing everything. But then I have everything that you think you would have. Yeah. That's, That's not how they work. You see, these multivitamins are based on people's metabolic types. And when we, when we test somebody's hair, we do a hair analysis test. The hair analysis tells us whether or not the person has a fast metabolism or a slow metabolism. And these, these vitamin formulas are made for, one's made for the fast, one is made for the slow. The fast and the slow have certain idiosyncrasies that you immediately see in their hair test, uh, in their hair tests. The fast metabolizer is somebody who has low copper, low calcium and magnesium, usually very high sodium and potassium. He's carbohydrate intolerant. He tends to gain weight from the waist up like Babe Ruth. All fast oxidizers look like Babe Ruth. They're big, they're big on top and small on the bottom. And this is the guy who needs to be eating a low-carb diet like Atkins. Okay. 
And that's what that the that's what one of these formulas is for the fast. Now the slow metabolism, on the other hand, is they tend towards dry skin. They tend towards dandruff. They tend towards um, being cold, like a lot of low thyroid symptoms. Mm-hmm. They have very high calcium and magnesium, and they tend towards high copper, and they tend towards low sodium and potassium and low zinc. It's the opposite. They're the opposite patterns. And that multivitamin for that person supports their thyroid, their adrenal, and what they need that's weak in them. Interesting. So I'm, I'm giving you a, a, a microcosm of what I'm talking about. Just yeah. from this what from that this one hair test, you could find out if your body tends to move more towards the fast side or the slow side. The fast side is the the carbohydrate intolerant who's basically a carnivore. He needs a high fat, high meat diet, low carbs, and he needs to take the vitamins that he tends to be low in, which are in that multi. The slow metabolizer is the opposite. He's the pear-shaped guy, and he tends to need a low-fat, moderate-protein, moderate-carb diet. Interesting. And he's got that multivitamin that I'm talking about over here. So that's why when, when, we de- when we're um, looking at somebody and putting a program together, one of the first things we want to do is this hair test, which, by the way, is done by Trace Elements Incorporated. You can look them up online, Trace Elements Inc., and um, they do these tests, and they're the ones that make these supplements. And they'll tell you when you do the test, um, are you fast, or are you slow? They'll tell you which of these vitamins you need to take along with anything else to fill in the gaps there. Yeah. And then they tell you what diet do you need. Do you need the fast metabolism diet or the slow? <laughs> Interesting. And is that just off of a hair analysis? Yes, it's off of the hair analysis huh. because the hair is a tissue. And as a tissue, the hair accumulates minerals it doesn't change very easily. It takes at least three or four months for the patterns in your hair to change. So it's different than the blood. See, a lot of doctors, for instance, when they get introduced to hair analysis, they become very upset because they find out that the hair patterns didn't follow what they saw in the blood. And yeah. doctors are oriented, heavily oriented for blood tests. And then when they see the hair didn't match the blood, they're all confused. But the truth is it wasn't supposed to. The hair and the blood aren't supposed to agree with each other in the first place. That's the revelation that sometimes they'll have. Wow. And the reason for that is the hair is a tissue. The blood is a a transport of fluid. It's a transport medium. It's a savings account versus a checking account. What stores in your hair and what stores in your tissues is different than what's in your blood. Your body draws from the, the tissues to put in the blood to move it around. Interesting, man. Wow. So it's not going to be the same because <clears throat> we you get people they'll they'll people say, "Well, my was really high, but in my blood it was normal or it was low." How did, well, that's because your body is pulling the potassium out of your blood and storing it in your tissues. So for some reason, it's going high in your hair and it's low in your blood. We need to find out what's malfunctioned. Is it your kidneys? What's going on to cause that? But there's a reason why. But the first thing the person has to has to realize and understand is the blood is not where you store things. The blood is where you transport nutrients or other other substances around in your body so that the tissues, the glands, the organs can get these things. The hair, like your liver or any other tissue, is where you store the stuff. Yeah. This is why very often you don't see toxic metals, which could, we could talk about for a that's the subject we've talked about for two or three days. The toxic, <laughs> toxic metals, you don't often see in a person's blood test unless he's being exposed at that time. 
Super and interesting. The, and, and the hair, you find metals store. Wow. So it's, it's very common. I had a patient once. That, again, back in the 80s, this fellow had this incredibly white hair, beautiful white hair. And he had on his hair test these high levels of lead starting to show up. He came to me with a problem. He had an asthma problem. After I handled his asthma and he was just on a maintenance plan, all of a sudden in the hair test, his lead shot off the graph. It never was high before. just went off the graph. So I sat him down and I went through all of these different possibilities of where he's getting this lead from. Mm-hmm. And he said no to all of them. And the very last one on the list was Grecian Formula 44, which was a hair dye that was popular many years ago. No. Way. And the, act, the active ingredient in Grecian Formula was lead acetate. So I said, you know, Herbert, Grecian Formula, I can obviously see you don't use it. He goes, yes, I haven't used that in about 10 years. I used to, I, I used it for maybe 10 or 15 years, he said, and then I stopped using it 10 years ago. What? Well, there, there was my answer. This man had all this lead from the Grecian formula hair dye that was stored on his bones for the last 10 or 15 years. And now that I had him on a program, the body was now releasing the lead from his bones. His body was detoxifying. It was now letting, it was throwing the lead off his bones and it was coming back up into his hair. No, wow. it didn't go. It didn't go enough to make the hair change color, but the traces of it now were showing again. Wow, dude! The fact, I mean, there's a lot to take in there, but it's kind of scary too because the body's able to absorb these things and just kind of make a home for it for a while until you detoxify and really get it out of there. Yes, lead. If you're talking about the bone, aluminum and lead compete with calcium for storage in your bones. And I guess when you detoxify, you start to see. What are other ways that the body? It all reverses. How does the body release that? So you saw it kind of like show up in his hair. I showed it in his hair test. It just shot up. All of a sudden, his lead's really high. But what about, um, let's say, other heavy metals like aluminum and stuff? Or let's say you do a detoxification process. How does the body just excrete this stuff? Is it just through through sweat it, or is it just? It's, it can be through sweat, urine, and stool. But it's difficult for the body because the toxic metals are also nicknamed heavy metals. Yeah. And the reason they're called heavy metals is due to their, their placement on the periodic chart of elements. They're, they're heavy. They don't move easily. They tend to stick and stay in your body. So it takes effort to get them out. If someone, if someone has the metals, if you, they were to do a hair analysis, you would see those metals are a little higher, let's say, yeah. than they should be. Then you put them on a program to get rid of them, and then they go even higher on the test. As Interesting. Another, another test that's used in that same way as a, a urine test a 24-hour urine collection looking for toxic metals in the urine. But if you're not a good detoxifier, you won't see any in your urine. But if, if you then put the person on a program to chelate, we call it chelating. Yeah, chelation. Um, chelation is where you use certain amino acids that bind with those metals. All of a sudden, you'll start seeing the metals come out of their urine once they've been on it long enough. Wow. The whole process, you got it down pat. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because toxic metals... Or there's there are two two things I would say that as far as the, the the length in our society that medical investigations have been going on that have been overlooked and haven't been given enough attention. And they're there are there are many different kinds of parasites that cause cancer. Mm-hmm. And there are toxic there are toxic metals that will cause literally every and any disease that you can name. There are toxic metals that have been shown that are behind it. 
and yet like multiple multiple sclerosis for instance ms very common that you find very high copper toxicity in those people interesting there are many reproductive cancers that women get that are associated with with toxic levels of copper zinc deficiencies in men cause crashing testosterone levels and low sperm counts and that zinc deficiency can be caused by cadmium toxicity or nickel Nickel and cadmium toxicity can also cause all kinds of skin rashes. So for literally for any ailment that you name, there is usually a mineral and very often a toxic element, which is suppressing the good mineral that's supposed to perform the function. That is, but it's overlooked. It's overlooked. And I'm, I still can't understand why it's so overlooked, but it is, but it's to me, it's become just like all in a day's work. We know all this. You can buy and you, people, you, people can go on the internet and Google all this. That's no secret. It's, it's no secret that with eczema, for instance, elevated copper levels are highly associated with eczema, which, which candida is also. And guess who, what people tend to have the highest level of copper? People with candida. Candida, yeah. The right. yeast overgrowth, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. <clears throat> but that's I mean, something That would be something in the future that doctors should be doing on a routine basis is they should be testing the person for what nutrients they need. They should be looking for toxic metals because toxic metals are everywhere. People are exposed to them all the time. I mean, it's mind blowing to me because it's. I'll, I had somebody else on talking about the uh, gut microbiome and how that plays into everything that we're seeing too, right? But it just seems like allopathic medicine doesn't, or almost just disregards all of this stuff. Like, hey man, nutrition plays a part in this. But for some reason, we never bring that up. We don't talk about sunlight. We don't talk about you know, eating good foods, but I don't know. It blows my mind. I'm, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, Dr. Bayamonte, because you know what, this is exactly what we need. And I think our generation, the younger generations coming up, we want to know more about nutrition. We're kind of done with the allopathic side of things. I mean, I'm not going to say it's completely done because obviously it's got some great things that it contributes. However, for the most part, it's just, it's failing us on a massive scale. I find we call it heroic medicine. And where, when it comes to like, look, if you get hit in the car, if you're out in the street to get hit by a car, you're not going to run into the store and grab a yogurt, right? <laughs> this is not, that's not going to work. Medical, no. do, medical doctors, orthodox medicine is there for a reason, and they, there are things they do very well that are life-saving. Mm-hmm. But in terms of handling chronic degenerative disease, it's an absolute failure. Turn on the TV and you hear all these commercials for all these different drugs. Yep. They, go, they go through 30 minutes of the side effects of the drugs, which is yeah. probably worse than the illness that you have now. Yep. When most of this is all caused by imbalances, by toxicity and deficiencies of different nutrients. Like what I actually practice is called clinical ecology. That's technically what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, in clinical ecology, we're looking from a clinical viewpoint at the ecology of the person's environment, looking at how toxins in their environment affect them, and look at looking also how their diet affects them, because that's part of the ecology that the person lives in. Interesting. Does, um, does it kind of tie into terrain theory? Or, yes, very. Okay. It's yeah. Um, clinical ecology was there first, and then we we pulled the terrain theory in when we saw how it fit in. Okay, awesome. Yeah, because that's something that I've been looking into for myself, for my family, and um, <clears throat> and we just find that it makes perfect sense. I find that it makes perfect sense because everything. When you talked about genetic expression, that's another thing where I'm like, how come we're not talking about that on the mainstream side of things? <laughs> you know, like well, you know, the, yeah, you're you're right. The, but you should go to your medic test, like a 23andMe. Uh-huh. He should have that test in your folder. He should have um, the hair analysis in your folder. He should have all kinds of functional 
nutritional tests, telling him about your nutritional levels, what toxins you're exposed to. That's going to be the doctor of the future. And But all of those things, you'll notice that everything I just mentioned, there's one thing none of that does. None of it sells drugs. Yeah, well, now we know why it's probably not that uh, at the forefront yet. <laughs> well, it's kind of because to your point, Dr. Baimonte, it's, it's just like you're more interested in healing the patient which is something that I kind of find that allopathic medicine, you know, it's more about, Hey, how do we treat the patient and we'll treat him for the next 20 years. And while we're at it, we're going to make about a hundred K off of this guy. Well, there's two, two rules in medicine that they joke about. You never want to do, you never want to kill the patient and you never want to cure the patient because if you kill him, obviously you don't have the patient anymore. And if you cure him, he's not there but he's not getting his, his, his subscription anymore to his drug. The, the prescription's out the window. Wow. So you never kill him and you never cure him. But to your point, I mean, that's why I'm happy you're here. But before we take off today, because uh, we're already coming up on the hour, went by a lot faster than I thought. First, uh, tell us about your book. Tell us about where we can find you, all that good stuff. You very easily find me on the internet. My website is health-truth.com. I have two other websites, the New York City Candida Doctor and the New York City Thyroid Doctor. And you can find my book on Amazon. It's called The Candida Chronicles. And it explains my journey through finding, finding out about Candida, how Candida was affecting people, and how I eventually de uh, developed the ultimate cure for reversing Candida in people. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Michael Biamonte, today was a pleasure. I had a blast talking to you. <laughs> Me too, my friend. Absolutely. I'm glad we were here. There's a lot more to talk about in the near future. But that being said, guys, that is all for today. Till the next episode.